Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Friendly Friday. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is September the 15th. It's garbage day here in Liberty Hill, Texas, which means there may be a garbage truck in the background you can hear. I am, and make sure you take out your garbage too. I am uh, very happy to have my buddy Steve Friend on. He's going to be joining us in just a moment. We're going to give you a little preview about what's going on today. So today is uh, a wrap up for the week. There's been a whole lot going on there. We're going to run you through some videos that I think are uh, of relevance to many of you. We had Mike Benz on yesterday and in true form, Logged off the show, turned around, and found some of that uh, weird mealy mouth government speak, that digital MK Ultra coming out of the UN. So I think that's going to be really interesting to you. We've got uh, people calling for the American Stasi and a purity test inside the FBI. People who need to protect the FBI from you, the American public, those dangerous American patriots who are so mean, so mean to the FBI. And they brought out none other than Peter Strzok. So we're going to play uh, my favorite weasel from the FBI, uh, known adulterer and gut-wrenching weirdo. Peter Strzok will be joining our uh, little broadcast as we play an MSNBC clip, which is always nauseating. So make sure you have your vomit bags ready. Uh, what else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about uh, the do's and don'ts in law enforcement. We always like to do a little bit of a, a, a recap of what's been going on, videos that have come out of the law enforcement realm. So Steve and I are going to cover down on something here that I'm going to call the trophy shot. We should definitely talk about that. Before that, let's do a quick thank you to our sponsors. And I just want you guys to know. Uh, and Ryan, I may even have you pull this up in a second. We talked to the founder of Securit, the CEO of Securit the other day, the safe company that I actually use. Um, I had a really nice conversation with him yesterday. They have launched a new branding and they're talking about uh, sponsorship with us. I think it's an awesome partnership because it's nothing better than dealing with companies that you already like and love and uh, use their products. So we may pull their website up and take a look at their new branding. But before we do that, let me say some thanks real quick to people that have been with us since the beginning. This is... This is our OG sponsor, Patriot Coolers. I'm about to do an order with Patriot Coolers too. I'm going to replace my my um, my large cooler. I keep it in the back of my minivan when we go and do Costco runs because there's nothing worse than getting home with like spoiled yogurt or spoiled, uh, you know, uh, frozen goods. I hate having to claw all my my strawberries apart. So go go to PatriotCoolers.com. Use promo code Kyle. It's just K Y L E. Four little letters gets you ten percent off. That's always great. Fifty bucks or more is going to get you free shipping. They've got great products there, and I'm about to order the gray version of their large fifty quart and uh, put that in the back of my minivan to, to transport the Seraphin family groceries. You never know when you might need to keep something hot or cold. These are the great ones to do it. PatriotCoolers.com. Promo code Kyle K Y L E. Uh, my buddies over at Catholic Vote, check them out. Check out The Loop. I actually got The Loop out here in front of me today, but they are America's top advocacy group for faith, family, and freedom. That is just things in the American way. Let's just read this real quickly here. Actually, while we're doing that, I'm going to bring this up. You guys can see the uh, command post here that I work out of. This is my version of The Loop. It's on my cell phone right now. It's from the 15th. It says, Hunter Biden indicted. They might have misspelled the word indicted. I may have to tell uh, Mercer to get that fixed up. Indicted on gun charges. Federal prosecutors finally come into, uh, to realize that uh, if you claim that you're a drug addict, that maybe you shouldn't be buying a really nice Colt revolver, which uh, Hunter did in 2018 uh, while he was supposedly under the influence of crack. Maybe still being doing that. Maybe leaving it in the White House. We don't know. Uh, CNN grilling a teacher's union head. There's a story about that. Uh, CNN hostess Abby Phillips talking to the Chicago teacher's union. Let's see. Unions making backroom deals about school choice. That's not surprising. Catholic Cardinal warning uh, in advance of the uh, the agenda 2030. That's probably all going to be relevant to what we're talking about today with the UN, which seems to be pretty strange. I thought they were just supposed to keep us out of war, but apparently they want to actually police your thoughts. That's nice. Uh, DOJ asking the Supreme Court to uh, to shut down one of these uh, rulings about abortion. A lot of good stuff in there. Check out it. Check out the the loop, you guys. And then lastly, here it is. There's our um, there's our suspendables merch. You can check out the merch store, the-suspendables.com. Free the merch and uh, make sure you get uh, something from Gerardo Boyle store here. They are shipping out soon. Really good looking t-shirts. The guy, uh, he sent me some of the the last line, which is the name of his Substack and his old t-shirt company. All good stuff. So check out them. And let's get launched. Uh, I saw people were excited about that, uh, the new angle. That is the, that's the studio we're in. What does that look like? Have they rebranded it yet? Has it launched? What about the main page up there, if you could? Ryan, 
Which one's that? Click, just, click on secure it? Yeah, just the main page to see if they've got it up. They haven't got it oh, up yet. Oh, yeah, so that's sweet. There's going to be some new uh, branding here. I think they've told me they've got a new logo, which is a digital wolf, which I'm into. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that, folks. Look forward to some some connections, Kyle Serafin Show and secure it. All right, let's bring on the real Steve Friend. You guys know him, you know him, and you love him. It's at real Steve Friend on Twitter and real underscore Steve Friend on True Social. How you doing, buddy? Are you there? Do we have you? He's coming in one second, Kyle. Oh, I got to add him to the scene. We got to add him to the scene. All right. So we're going to have a first reflection. I think we're going to start off with uh, the police state trailer. So I'm going to have you watch a little show with us, and then we'll talk about it for people. It's uh, it's Friday, so it's kind of a breakdown day. Let's do this trailer. If you guys haven't seen this, Steve and I had a little bit of part in this. We're going to talk to you about that in just a second. So let's go ahead and run uh, video number five, if you would, Ryan. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. There it is. The trailer for Police State, the new Dinesh D'Souza film that the uh, Suspendables had a hand in. Folks, you can find tickets there on October 23rd and 25th. These are private engagements, so these are sold-out theaters that the uh, the studio has paid for, and there will be no signage. It's like uh, if you had a friend in the movie business making you a movie just for you. Uh, Steve, you want to talk about our, our role in that and what we did there? Yeah, excited to, finally. Now that we've kind of kept it uh, on the low-key here, but uh, you and I had the opportunity to, to fly out and assist as technical advisors when it came to the the dramatization of of uh, what went on with Liberty City 7 and then with this fictional case that's being worked to, to demonstrate the growing police state and kind of make it look more authentic. So we got a chance to work with the the day actors and uh, get them up to speed and make it looking like a tactical team. And then also do the roundtable discussion that you saw a clip for you uh, in, in making your, your, your great trailer comment. I unfortunately dropped two very pointed trailer lines that i was hoping would get in but uh <laughs> lost my voice so, you sounded like robert f kennedy when you were on that panel <laughs> they they assured me that they'd be able to actually use technology to get my voice cleaned up but if they weren't able to that they would uh actually have me record it later i never did did a recording afterwards so they either cut me entirely or they were actually able to make my my voice which i mean i made uh RFK sound like James Earl Jones. It was gone completely. It, and, it was actually uh, kind of surreal. I've actually never uh, seen, I've never <laughs> seen someone quote unquote lose their voice to the level that Steve did. It was right overnight. It was amazing. We were talking the, the night day. before. We're like, hey, yeah, what's get, up, buddy? And then the next morning you're like, you're like, ah, I wish that there was a way I could talk. I could it was crazy, people. Anyway, Garrett we're and I did the PBD podcast that morning and it was like a three hour podcast. And I went back and listened and I, from hour one to hour three, you could start hearing it. You My can see just the going. visual curve of Steve's <laughs> vocal abilities just trail off. So they didn't do any ADR on you. They didn't do the dubbing. So uh, maybe maybe you'll, you'll sound wild. Uh, all that being said, candy. I, I want to talk about the term police state, because I know that if anybody listens to Dan Bongino's show and many of our listeners are in common, you've been hearing Dan say this for a while. Part of it is because this is the movie that we've done, but part of it is because that term was available to us prior to doing this movie. And 
people have kind of called us out. Uh, I've, I've seen it on social media. They're like, oh, now you guys are against the police. Do you want to talk about what the word police state actually means? Are we against local police? Would Is that the what we're trying to say? No, no, absolutely. I, I was in the space with you where that, that question was posed because I think the gentleman was actually worried about going to his group of police friends and saying, hey, you should go see this movie. He was wanting to, to get some, uh, I guess, ammunition, intellectual ammunition for that. And I think with a actual police state, the idea is that it's an all-encompassing, encroaching government abuse that's been weaponized against the people, and especially from a, a federal standpoint, from a national standpoint. People think of a police state, they think of like North Korea, where they're doing the bidding of a despot and keeping the uh, the, the normal citizen, uh, keeping them under their thumb. I don't think it's any sort of knock on the police. It's certainly not a defund the police. Ilhan Omar is not going to be coming to the movie premiere and and touting it. Uh, it's it's dealing with a federal government that is infringing on folks' rights rather than law enforcement, which is standing in in the gap against people who want to harm you and, and actually deprive you of your rights. So there's a concept of police powers, which exists for every level of government all the way down. And when we talk about the U.S. government, the fundamental ability of the government to enact laws, to coerce citizenry for the public good, that's the police powers. And when you abuse those police powers, which we could very easily call it the totalitarian state or the authoritarian state, that's what we mean when we talk about a police state. Uh, And most people, they're familiar with police powers. They've just never heard them called that before. And I I have to forgive me. I don't remember each of the terms that he used, but Dinesh, in his conversations with us said, you know, if this is an evolution that started with uh, and, and is, is coming to its final fruition as a police state. But before that, it was, you know, a larger encompassing government where it was a uh, a nanny state. And then now because after the LBJ and uh, in, in bringing the federal government so large uh, and then that has come to pass with the the policing powers of an FBI or something like that after 9-11. And, and that's just the natural evolution. And there's also a couple of ways that these police states can evolve. They can evolve out of a single party system. They can evolve out of that strongman dictator role, or they can kind of be a rule of oligarchs, which is kind of what our fear is with the uniparty. Uh, There's some there's some pretty obvious connections to our current state and how far along we are onto that devolution of, of, you know, police state. Uh, I wanted to play a video for you and get your reaction. This is coming out yesterday. Uh, I actually started following this woman on Twitter. I, I went and hunted her down. She works for the UN, and she had a few things to say that I think are some of the most dystopian uh, sentiments that somebody in a position of power could give. But it's perfect segue from what we talked about with Mike Benz yesterday. And if you did not listen to Mike Benz, go back and listen to today's uh, yesterday's show because the stuff that he was dropping, you know, Mike is a belt-fed machine gun of truth. He just he just cannot be slowed down. My only job is to like cool the barrel. I just pour water on the barrel and try to keep it pointed in the right direction. Uh, he can just go all day. But let's do video number three, Ryan, if you would. This is a, a discussion of what what they used to be able to do, and they're concerned that they can't do the same thing anymore. Uh, God forbid. Maybe we can play video number three and see what we think. Um, and, of course, firings at Twitter have left us with no one to call to flag content that is abusive or even incitement to, to violence. We're now seeing that almost anyone can promote disinformation for the price of a blue tick. So we've still, it's not all bad, we have teamed up with the platforms uh, to elevate reliable information around COVID and climate, to amplify trusted messengers, and we have quite an army of them out there who want to take UN content and promote it within their followings and also educating users um, on how to slow the spread of disinformation. Our new slogan that we want to have everybody have in their ear when they're online is pause, take care before you share. Um, But yet we do feel like we are in an information war and that we need to massively ramp up our response. So we're creating at the UN a central capacity to monitor, monitor and also have the ability to rapidly react when mis- and disinformation and hate speech is threatening not just our people, our operations, but also the issues and the causes that we're working on. But also we're gonna be gearing up our verified initiative around climate change and developing this UN code of conduct on information integrity on digital platforms, hoping to set 
global standards that we can all advocate around um, so that we can collectively work for a more humane internet. Oh, they want to have a more humane internet. If you could just stop, take care before you share, because we're in an information war. Um, is she saying that Alex Jones was right? Is that what she was saying there, Steve? I couldn't get beyond her presentation, to be honest. Uh, is she wearing men's tidy whities That was the question coming out of the chat. <laughs> that might be a man. Is that a man? You know, who am I to say? And, and who are you to assume that there's more than two genders? I mean, let's be honest. She could identify as a I don't know, attack helicopter. And you'd have to recognize that she's an Apache. She's a uh, WMD. She's a, a weapon of mass disinformation. There's she is. Uh, I think uh, Jesse Kelly has labeled it. She's the the worst, most evil uh, type of person. And that's a liberal white woman who sits up there as a Karen and uh, has a pearl clutching, this faux pearl clutching. Like, how dare these people? They're we, using we their blue to, check marks. We have to take them. Under, and, and then she even compared it to a spread of a virus. So that's what your UN views free speech. Every time I hear the word a virus like that, I always think of the uh, the, the great moment in uh, in the Matrix where where Agent Smith is like, a virus. You know, he says it like it's so <laughs> And he's talking about humanity. He's talking about human beings and the truth yeah. that they might understand. Yeah, and then she tries to bring in, she obviously didn't get her full download because she was had to read off of her iPad there. Um, if she'd actually properly prepared, she could have just recited all this. We had to go to climate. We had to go to free speech and then uh, to, to COVID misinformation. And I'm thinking like, oh, you mean like when the CIA bribed analysts to say that the virus came from a wet market, as it's been revealed this week by another whistleblower? And, and the it was a seven-person panel, and six of them got bribed, and the one-seventh one was a senior guy who now left the CIA and goes to work for a private organization that said that uh, all the uh, the – uh, was it Hunter Biden laptop was all the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation. So definitely nothing to, to concern yourself with, with the uh, American uh, intelligence community. That sounds like a very Putin loving position you're taking there, Steve. Have you thought about that? Have you, have you considered your sins? <laughs> I have, I thought about it and prayed about it and uh, I will proceed despite the fact that I'm probably a domestic terrorist somewhere within the FBI system. Isn't that something? So, you know, Alex Jones originally had a website that was called Prison Planet. That was his first website before it was called the uh, Infowars. Now it's banned TV and stuff like that. And um, it seems like he actually had them backwards. The the Infowars to keep us from the Prison Planet. But they're, man, they're dead set on getting us there, aren't they? Yeah. I, and look, it's it's a UN or the, the World Economic Forum or it's the World Health Organization. They can't help but pull the shades back a little bit. It always comes down to, we just need to reduce population. We just yeah, need to control you just a little. We need if to control could, it. Just control It'll be done. Thoughts. Well, we'll use our nice NPR voices as we're advocating for the most radical, deplorable things possible. Like, oh, if we can just reduce population down to how it was a few centuries ago. I mean, that'll require you killing about six or seven billion people, but we'll do it with a nice drive time tone like you find on NPR. And you know, it it really is good for the planet. And that's what's the ultimate good is that we care about this rock of earth that we all walk around on. Yeah, all of human history until like, I don't know, a couple of decades ago was, was mother nature trying to kill us and us trying to protect ourselves. But now all of a sudden we're a threat. I, I, I like the, uh, the George Carlin bit where he was talking about the, the planet is fine. Like the planet is fine. It's dealt with worldwide floods and tectonic shifts and meteor strikes. The planet probably just brought about people because they wanted to have plastic. So now it could be the earth plus plastic and then just shake us off like a flake. Well, I used to think about this when I was a teenager because people were talking about the hole in the ozone layer and the fact that we're destroying the planet and all the things out there. And even as <laughs> a teenager, rain. it was <laughs> acid rain was going to kill us all. We we're going to walk out and just have our skin burn. And it was really apparent to me, even as a teenager, that the only thing that we could do is make the planet uninhabitable for ourselves. The planet was going to keep existing. It's a bunch of rock that spins around in, in the middle of the... Uh, in the middle of space. So if we make it uninhabitable for ourselves, it's our own problem. I get that. But we don't need to do anything for the quote unquote good of the planet. There's no moral good in the planet. The moral good is whether or not human beings are living a more fulfilled life. And people are living less in poverty and have more capabilities and opportunities than they've ever had before. And there's more of us, shockingly. The first billion people showed up in the year 1800 or so. That's about the time the human population hit 1 billion. And we've gone off like a rocket since then because of food capabilities and all the technologies, the industrial revolution that we brought forward. A lot of other bad things have come along with it too. Mostly, uh, I feel like it's industrial-based baking. 
you're not a bread guy at all. I think you you're avoided that, so you're living the dream. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to avoid that. So, you know, you got to rock the uh, the gluten free diet in, in the in the friend household. That's uh, that's a must. But, or you could just uh, be a Steve friend and not eat. I think I watched you not eat for four days. What was that about? <laughs> He's still out running 12 miles every day, people. But I'm hanging out with Steve, and it's like, did you eat today? And he's like, no, I got bored last night. I just didn't eat. I just went home. Yeah, I was just tired. I just, I mean. Just chose not to eat for a couple of days. You don't need to. It's fine. It, I mean, that that's when, when the alternative cranky. is you were You were cranky when we were doing that movie. You were cranky. <laughs> you, had, I was more tired than I was hungry. Cranky. I mean, your alternative was to eat like a. I don't know, processed honey bun or something that Bruce had to go run and get, which we should, we should actually recognize uh, Bruce, the, uh, the producer of that film. He was, he and I had like a, like eight hour chat where we were like in a cigar bar, like the days leading up to it. And just a really like interesting, smart, intellectual guy. For sure. And uh, he was doing everything. He wasn't just like the executive who just sits there and just has, you know, has his nice chair and, and watches uh, from on high. Like oh, he was a servant. He was running to Costco to go get, food for the crew. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I guess that's kind of how you have to do it though. With, if you're in the conservative sphere of Hollywood, because it's just so small to keep people away. People were asking me because they saw my Twitter post of uh, where I'm working right now. And this is in the background. This is a book that was sent to me by Garrett O'Boyle. I didn't even know if I was going to bring this up, but it's called the mission, the men and me it's by Pete Blaber. He's a former Delta force commander. And th those are the order of priorities. When you are a leader, if you're a real leader, the mission first, uh, I think your family can come before that in some ways, because if you're not ready to go do it, but you go do the mission when you're on mission. And Bruce was really great about doing that. Then it's the men, the people that are actually doing the mission. And then you, um, there's another book that's called Leaders Eat Last. It's it's a very Christian principle, but it's also like the best way to get people on board with your mission set if you want to be successful. You get people to do what you need to do because you are the one you think of last. Your needs come last. The needs of the mission are first, those that are doing the mission, and then yourself. Um, if you've never read The Men, The Mission to Me, it's actually a really easy lessons from a from a former Delta Force commander. It's uh, it's it's cool guy stuff because it's it's talking about a Delta Force guy working in war zones and 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 cold zones. They're doing non you know uh, non attributable missions, and yet the missions hold forth whether it's how you handle your household or how you handle your friendships or how you handle your business. Definitely check that out. I don't recommend a lot of books, but this is one of them. And Garrett sent it to me right when I got suspended. And he said, thanks for putting the mission first. The mission was upholding the oath. That's why you and I think get along as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that entirely. Actually, I was talking about uh, uh, Hal Moore recently with uh, another parent uh, of my son that my, my son was playing after uh, after school with a playground. And we just got on that subject of, well, it was the We Were Soldiers book and then movie. And I'm just reminded of that I will be the first to get off the helicopter and I will be the last one to get on. And we're all coming home no matter what. And that that's true leadership. And that's the, what, what he embodied for, through, through that ordeal in Vietnam. In the military, we call that leading from the front. We've got a lot of people in the FBI that like to lead from the rear. So I want to go video number four. Uh, talk about a guy that needs a kick in the rear and apparently has no shame. No shame whatsoever. It can't happen for him. He cannot look in the mirror and think, I'm a hideously horrible human being who's done terrible things and I should be ashamed of myself. Instead of doing that, he's out on MSNBC saying that we need a security force for the security force. We need something to protect the armed federal agents from the mean, mean, dirty peasants that are out there trying to stop political persecutions. Listen to the first couple lines that this lady says. There is zero correction given. All right. Zero correction given. Um, let's pay our little friend, the uh, famous weasel of the FBI, Peter Strzok. If we are too timid in the way we talk about this, I mean, these are threats to terrorize people who are public servants doing their jobs for a political purpose. Um, are we, we see something, are we saying something and are we saying the right thing? Uh, well, in my opinion, we're not doing enough. I mean, look, when push comes to shove, the absolutely the FBI and DOJ need to band together and protect their personnel to allow them to do their job. They're going to do it, but they need to be able to do that without fear for their lives. When the FBI was fighting Al Capone, there was not a unit dedicated to protecting FBI personnel. When the FBI was fighting organized crime families in New York and all around the U.S., there was not a unit dedicated to protecting FBI personnel. I'm struck by the fact you, you threw up that quote from uh, testimony from an FBI agent to the House Judiciary Committee. Who's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee? Jim Jordan. And yet Jim Jordan hearing that these threats to this AUSA are resulting or are coming about from being publicized, he nevertheless goes on television and, you know, appears in the same, you know, little snips that you showed repeating the name of this AUSA. 
So congressmen, senators, they don't care about this threat, but we need to be doing more. In my opinion, I'm glad to see the FBI and Director Ray and others starting to talk about this, but we need to talk about it even more because it's not getting better. If anything, it's getting worse, and it's getting worse behind the testimony and the statements of senators and congressmen, not fringe, you know, sort of outcasts and outliers, but mainstream, reputable national politicians. And it's got to stop. It's interesting when you say that. So there's no unit created to protect the agents that were prosecuting Al Capone. And, I, and, and your comment, Pete, about um, the elected officials who are threatening these individuals in the same way that Republicans put out enough disinformation for the Russian troll farms to be rendered nearly irrelevant, although I'm sure they'll be busy in 2020. You've got Republicans doing all of the mob-like threatening and intimidation and endangering of prosecutors. Right, what do you need the Proud Boys That's for? all we can do. That's all we can do. Steve, uh, can we protect these AUSAs? Can we hide these names of public officials and FBI agents? I mean, they're so mean to them. They're so mean as they do political prosecutions. There was so much in that clip. I'm having a hard time actually keeping up with all the things I want to say. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for allowing me to watch the most MSNBC that I've watched in my entire life. It's my pleasure. Uh, and it was very apparent why I don't watch Pete struck. I guess he goes by Pete now. Um, I, I, maybe Lisa preferred that. So Pete struck sits in his office there with, uh, I'm sure, several hundred books that he's never read, including his, which he probably had ghost written, strategically placed over his right shoulder, so that you, you, you can. You know what the name of his book is? Oh, but no, never, never wasted the brain cells. Just send it. It's called compromised. <laughs> Is, next is to, there more of a mine. if next there more of mine. a cell phone? Okay, so while Steve is reflecting on this, I want people to watch this. Ryan, if you'll play the clip without any audio, when it shows the wide shot of Peter Strzok's room, and you can skip to it if you can, or otherwise we'll just let it run. But while uh, Steve is reflecting, I want people to look over Pete's left shoulder. There is going to be a set of cover sheets for secret and top secret documents, the same things they laid out for the trophy shot at uh, Donald Trump's office. And there's also a set of handcuffs that probably have never been used because he was a CIA agent. Uh, Steve, keep talking, but we're going to watch this in the background. You can see over his his right shoulder is the book Compromise. On the left shoulder, down at the bottom there next to his dog, which oh, is twitching. Oh, nice catch by the dog. Okay. Okay. There, yeah, you've got the, the handcuffs that he probably, you know, used. Those are cover sheets more. for secret and top secret documents. Those are strategically positioned there for his very well curated garbage Ikea background. All right, keep going. Tell me what you think. He also has his wedding picture there, too. Uh, and I'm saying that those handcuffs were probably for uh, for for playtime with Lisa. Those are ceremonial uh, handcuffs for sure. Yeah. OK, the, keep going. The, the, the calling for a Praetorian guard for the FBI when they didn't need one for Al Capone because these these dastardly MAGA people are far worse than organized crime that necessitated actually developing an FBI with weapons to combat. Or, or organized crime later on in the 90s, which had New York uh, bowed to its knees until uh, until Giuliani cleaned it up. I, when I think of what- All right, that's all I can watch that guy's face. Go ahead and cut him away. <laughs> cut away from him. <laughs> Go back to Steve. He, so, so let me get this straight. We need a Praetorian Guard to protect armed agents who received unlimited amount of training. If anytime you want to shoot in the FBI, you can go shoot. Unlimited amount of ammunition. The government pays for your training, pays for your ammunition, pays for your firearms, and gives you the broadest, widest, deadly force policy that I've ever encountered any time post-Tennessee v. Gardner, which uh, before that, for, for those who don't know, Tennessee v. Gardner, you could shoot a fleeing subject. There didn't have to be a threat of, of loss of life or serious injury. If a guy you robbed a liquor store and you saw him run away as a police, you could just shoot him in the back. That was perfectly legal before the Tennessee v. Gardner decision came out. But the FBI's use of force policy is by far the broadest I've ever encountered. We had task force officers when we read it to them because they were deputies or, or police officers. They, their eyebrows would go up and be like, wait, you can shoot him for what? And these people need to be protected they need we need to actually get a an armed guard for them so i guess chris ray's uh, armed guard needs to expand its reach we get more tdy to from the director's detail to the the agent's detail maybe we can plus up uh for a, a few more billion dollars from congress we can plus up with some mercs who can stand by as you do an interview of an american citizen and ask him you know knock on his door and say hey look you know i know that uh, you didn't do anything wrong we're definitely not looking into you but you might know some people uh would you be interested in becoming my informant i'm sure the guy with the slung m4 behind him to protect him from you uh, is not going to really coerce you at all also um 
It turns out the FBI actually got the ability to protect themselves in these agents in 1935 when they authorized the carrying of firearms. This actually is an old, old problem that's already been solved when they were going after Al Capone. They authorized the use of firearms. Struck didn't carry a gun, so he probably didn't He probably didn't know about that. that. He, you think he knows that FBI agents are issued firearms? I don't see a lot of headquarters guys carrying guns, so that makes sense. No, I mean, they, they carry it down downstairs uh, to that uh, one day uh, every three months that they got to go shoot. I'm sure they wear their their blue polo and their blue FBI hat and their 5'11 khakis. Khakis. And, and, then, uh, and then just go back up to work uh, or, you know, whatever you want to call what they do all day long. Just stand around a skiff and sneak their cell phone in there so they can take pictures, which does go on. Or text their mistress. Let me, um, let me say that the three things that I think every FBI headquarters agent is uh, guilty of. Ready? Number one, they wear a suit, which is not how people do work in the field. Number two, they eat a salad at lunch because they're vegetarians. And number three, they have an ankle holster that they've never tried to shoot out of. They carry it, but they've never trained out of it. So suits, salads, and ankle holsters are the joke that we make, um, that my buddies who work Indian country, before I ever met you, we would always go, you know, go back to your suits and salads, enjoy your ankle holster. That's the three things that I would I would pin on them every single time. Have you ever met one of the suit salad angle holster types? Oh, of course. I mean, those were always senior executive service people, and they they would roll in every eighteen months. You know, they would be the ankle holster, um, and they no no extra mags ever. They would never even consider that. The it's only already the smallest hip. gun we could carry. Yes, they need protection. Probably they probably do. Well, I, I mean, maybe we could add a fourth to that because apparently they're all just having affairs with each other. Yes, that's true. Sexually compromised is the last thing. Uh, compromised. Yeah, what, what a great title for a book. 4S. We should put that on their uh, on their tickets on, on on airplane tickets, just like all the people that flew into January 6th, according to Sonia. It's so true. And, and when we talk about the sexual compromised nature of the senior executive service of the FBI, whenever somebody would give us a story about a sexual liaison, it would be a difficulty not figuring out um, if that was true. The difficulty was finding out which field office it was true about. I just need you guys to understand how much when Steve and I are out here trying to hurt feelings and we have no problem doing so, man, uh, the reason why it's a problem is because if you are sexually compromised and you're willing to go out and run around on your spouse, how much are you going to run around on the American people and the obligations you have or let down them when it comes to the oath? And this is what happens. I mean, these are people who have sold themselves for a job and they have absolutely no problem selling you out. They don't care about your rights. They're, they're busy selling out their spouses. Mostly it's, it's uh, men sleeping with women that are inside the bureau, but there's, I mean, there's adultery that starts at Quantico Academy. You know, I mean, it just, it goes all the way back. I knew people that were classmates with Asha Ragnapapa, who is the, that sort of Indian uh, weird looking face chick that uh, is always on CNN and MSNBC. She left FBI after two years. I was actually a Chili's waiter for longer than she was an FBI agent, but it's the number one thing in her bio. It's the most proud she's ever been. She was there two years and she couldn't even make it two months without starting to sleep with somebody else's husband when she was at the FBI Academy. Uh, people who were at the Academy knew it. They actually got, you know, they got told, hey, knock it off. You guys are making us look bad. And they didn't even stop. They were still going into town together and banging. They made babies and he ran off on her. Go shock her. Like, it's just, these are compromised people. It's a good name for a book, it turns out. Yeah, for him especially, and I, that that is just a rampant problem. I mean, that that was told to me when I was going to the academy, and I, I wrote about it. I sat down with the applicant coordinator in Atlanta, and she goes, "Here's your paperwork. Go to Quantico. Don't have an affair." And that was her parting comment to me, and I, like eyebrow raised, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "You'll see." And I went there, and everybody's having an affairs with everybody. They all. It's just like this dirty secret. It's a hall pass. We had, uh, you know what it is? It's civilian TDYs. Anybody who's ever been in the military knows that there's a, a concept when you're on temporary duty and you're stationed somewhere else. There's always these guys that go out there, you know, uh, different zip codes don't count, you know, this kind of thing out of country, out of mind. These, all these little euphemisms that exist in the military. And so there is that, like, while the cat is away, the mouse will play kind of attitude in certain areas. And the military is terrible about it. It's really one of the worst. That's why military relationships are really tough for people to cultivate. Also, people get married really young. But we're talking about grownups with professional backgrounds, professional jobs. You would expect, one would expect, that it would not be a difficulty for people who have a national security clearance and supposedly have been doing the right thing for their whole lives in order to get this top secret clearance to just keep it in their freaking pants for five months. The first word of their motto is fidelity. <laughs> it's so bad. It's such a it's such a weird own. Like, why would they? I mean. We're, we're pulling the veil back. We always talk about the uncomfortable truths on here. This is an uncomfortable truth that the FBI has been like this for a long time. That It used to be that it didn't stop them from doing their job. But once you corrode that, that fidelity to your spouse 
and your integrity is next on the line, you're more than happy to go after your political opponents. Uh, there's no bravery anymore because now you need an armed guard, a, a Praetorian guard to protect the, the people that are doing the investigation. Integrity is only a problem for those who have it. This is the Steve Friend quote, or is that is it the... <laughs> that was my firearm bay instructors at Quantico, and I've just always used it because it's so spot on. I mean, because people would just hold rounds back or, you know, or, or cheat whenever they could. And you just, just say like, hey, look, I'll score it. However, integrity is only a problem if you got it. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so we've got another video. This is uh, number two. I'm calling this the trophy shot. This, I am not going to call out these people for integrity. I don't think that's a problem. I'm not going to call out their bravery. This is, I believe, Bortak. But this is one of those things where it's the, sl the slippery slope. That's called. I used to call it bad decision theater. When you're watching someone make a bad decision in real time, if you don't stop the tape and say, hey, no, no, no. We can't do this. I want you to reflect on this as a uh, former SWAT team guy, as a guy who worked in local law enforcement, and maybe some of the things that we should be concerned about. We have to call out the good police and the good federal investigators when they make a bad mistake and they do something that's stupid. Let's roll tape number, uh, video number two, if you would, Ryan. And for those of you who are uh, listening to this podcast, what you're hearing is obviously a helicopter footage. There are a bunch of men wearing multicam. They're wearing helmets. Some of these guys have night vision on top. They're all slung rifles. And they have a, uh, a young man in custody. He's wearing a gray hoodie. He was a convicted murderer that escaped from a prison, I believe, in Philadelphia. And they are all lined up. There's probably 25 of them taking a knee in sort of like riser style order. There's a dog there, a canine that's already bit this kid. And, uh, you know, no qualms with them wrapping him up, no qualms with the dog being used, no qualms with bringing him back into custody. I'm glad they did. And they were diligent. But this picture of everybody kind of lining up and posing for it is something that is a little bit concerning to me. Uh, I'm curious if that strikes you the same way, Steve. What do you think? Yes, it does entirely. I, look, I, I did the SWAT thing. Uh, we didn't do pictures ever. The only, I mean, we would do pictures if somebody was about to leave the team. And we would do a picture for them, and and basically in yeah, front of the a, bear cat. Party. Exactly. I used to call those never, uh, I used to call those tactical dick pics. Yes, I know. You've 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 definitely made me feel ashamed <laughs> for my book cover. That, uh, but I, look, little story on that one too. <laughs> if you give me that slight detour, please. Uh, my wife has made us do family pictures every year that we've been together, including before we were married. So we've been together <laughs> for fourteen years. I've done fourteen family pictures. Okay. Okay. And I hate it. I hate every second. And uh, there was a, the last winter in Iowa, she said, will you wear your SWAT gear for the family pictures? And I said, you cannot allow anybody to see these pictures ever. Ever again. Yeah, they have to go into the vault. <laughs> so then I published the book and they're like, hey, do you have any pictures of yourself, you know, wearing a SWAT? And I was like, oh my gosh, now America is going to get a chance to see this picture. Well, it started with Miranda Devine outing you because <laughs> yeah. she wanted some good photos of you. And then uh, we switched over to making it your book cover. So your tactical dick pics have gone far They're wide. all out there, man. But, you know, we're exposing a far worse things from, from the FBI than I have to worry about SWAT dick pics. Well, plus, but, uh, <laughs> plus God, you know, what is it? Man makes plans and God laughs. Will you talk about the idea of being in the end zone before with uh, folks and why this is a, a problem, I think, with this photo? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think in private uh, text view the yesterday, it, I said, I'm a big uh, believer in the mantra from Lou Holtz. He's like, you don't celebrate when you score a touchdown. You don't spike the football because you act like you've been there before. You act like you expect this outcome. Like you're paid to go get this guy. Acting like this is it's as if you did not think you were going to get him. You're that celebratory about it. And I would think his defense uh, is going to have this picture and, and this video footage to make it look like he was victimized by the police. It's it's not going to bode well for- It's, it's for definitely not good for the next use of force that these guys are involved in. So this is supposedly the Bortak team that's out of the Northern side uh, coming out of PA or New York. Uh, I, I have no problem with Bortak. I think they're awesome. They saved the day in Uvalde. They've saved the day in other places. They're outstanding professionals. This, I think, is a momentary lapse in judgment. I think it's worth them knowing that they can't be doing stuff like this, but that I won't take away from the honor and the bravery and the, the capabilities of this team. They show up when nobody else will. They are well, well-trained, and they get into really rough terrain and do the right work. Uh, I didn't see HRT out there. We would have known because they would have had the $50,000 panos on their heads, even though it was daylight. So we would have known if cool HRT was out there. Yeah, cool much, guy beards. Way more beard. <laughs> Yeah, tactical Jesus look. What do they call it? Somebody called me. That was that my old boss was was an HRT guy, and he was an awesome human being. He's a great guy. We didn't get along on everything, but he was always fair and he was honest. And he was a Ranger Battalion guy and a West Pointer, and kind of the people you expect are going to be on HRT. He was a special operator, and you know had the beard, had the long kind of Jesus level hair, um, very handsome, very well spoken, and uh, a killer and just a PT freak. 
just a savage when it came to working out. He would go out and do like tarmac workouts by himself and just apparently liked abusing his body. And, you know, guy who still has a six pack over 40 that isn't gay is kind of an interesting move. <laughs> it's like one of the few exceptions to the rule. I told Ryan, by the way, if he gets a, if he ends up with a six pack with his working out guys uh, over 40 with a six pack tend to be gay in my experience. Most guys that are over 40 have to have kids and they don't have time for the six pack work. <laughs> That's stated straight from somebody who's medium fit and over 40. That's right. Well done. I got no time for it by now. I'll come back to it and I'll tell you people that I'm the only, I'm the second guy. But my boss was one of those guys. He was, he was a hundred percent, you know, American hero material. He was on operation red wing going after Marcus Luttrell, trying to recover him. Uh, he was on the recovery team. He, you know, did hard things in hard places on behalf of the U.S. government. And that's the kind of people we want to see. They just have to know that the motto of being a quiet professional is a special operations. Uh, it's really a it's really a bylaw. You have to go and do those things without telling everybody that this is, you know, we're celebrating like you weren't going to do it. I think you're spot on with the uh, act like you've been there before. Really what's important. your what's your thoughts, especially when you're talking about the silent professionals? Um, and, and look, I, I read their books because I, I admire these guys and then what they go through. Uh, but all these guys who have now come out of like special forces, SEAL teams and Delta and, and all, and they're writing their memoirs. Um, I think that they have really great stories to tell and really uh, great leadership and and experiences. But at the same time, I d it is sort of in conflict with their motto of being this silent professional who just does these things and doesn't talk about it again as a prior service person. Like, what are your thoughts on, on those guys doing that? It's mixed bag because some of it is their stories actually glorify the people that are um, that have died. And, and let people understand just what these men go through. I think hearing stories from the guys at GBRS, which is a training company, um, people like DJ Shipley. I, I listened to his podcast with Sean Ryan, and I, I literally had tears in my eyes when I was working out in my garage gym in New Mexico. I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was sobbing, man, and I was lifting weights. And it's really hard to do that when you see someone that is so big, so strong, has put so much on the line for the country. Hearing that story is actually important because people need to know what the sacrifice looks like. And it is extreme. And it results in just crushed lives. There is something good about memoirs coming out in that thing after you've left the community, after you're out there, especially if you're going to go and hide names and pseudonyms, but you let people know some of the missions that we do, you know, that our, our men go forward and do, it's so important. We do as an American people, we send these guys into harm's way and nobody will ever hear about it. And there's something to be said about those being exposed. There's also something about the braggadocious. I, I would love to sit down with Marcus Luttrell at some point in time, because I had a hard time getting through his book when I was active duty, because there's so much kind of like bravado and not like and dick swinging is the only way I could explain it. It's just, it's like, we're the SEALs and we're the best. It's like your whole team was killed, man. It's hard to read that. It's really, really hard to read it. There may be a reason for that, but some of the the bravado is tough to read. The humility of the humble professional, the the the, uh, the quiet professional, there are books that are written out there like that. I read them. I really, I like, them. I really like Dick Couch. Dick uh, Couch because, is amazing. Yeah, he he's he's totally fair. He's, he's talking about selection. He's not really talking about the missions. Um, until you get to his, some of his later books, but he's an ex seal who's like the most fair about yep. every different service. If like you've he, never, he, yeah. If you've never read, I think it's called, I think it's called, um, what is, what warrior is elite? No, he has another one. That's the one that's the forging of the seal team that he rolled through on buds. He also went through SF selection and yes. followed them as a journalist. And now I can't think of what it's called. I think it's called like quiet warrior or chosen professional. Um, let me, Tim let me Kennedy was in warrior elite. He has an alias. Interesting. He was that yeah. he was in that class. Yeah, Dick Couch, folks. If you want to read a book about like what America, you know, what the training looks like to go through, just the selection process for the SEALs or for uh, for the Green Berets and Special Forces, check out anything that Dick Couch writes. He's a stud from the Vietnam era. He you know walked away from it all, and then he goes and glorifies the men that are going through it. Uses pseudonyms. That's the right way to do it. Um, he he absolutely is great, and he's also doing the thing like. I know how hard this is because what I've done and I want to glorify somebody else's story. That is the epitome of what I think the quiet professional looks like. Dick Couch. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome books. I've read all of his stuff because it was important to me when I was looking to, you know, what branch I wanted to go into the military and how I wanted to train, who I wanted to train with. And I may have missed the mark. I mean, I, I probably should have gone into the army. It's the guys that I'm friends with that are, that are green berets are, you know, they're the best hands down guys that are seals can be the best, but they tend to be also like, Really good at. I mean, I have the right hair right now to be a seal. It turns out we would. <laughs> the guys in the Air Force would always get made fun of for their for their hair as well. Um, I want to do. Uh, I want to pivot over and talk about the Pornhub tapes. If you want to stick around, Steve, you let me know. We've got a, an I'm interview. Good. 
So we're going to play a video, folks, that has been out there on, um, it was released yesterday on social media. It's getting a little bit of traction. You may have seen it on Louder with Crowder. We're going to play a little taste of it. It's 11 or 12 minutes long. So go to my timeline or go to Arden's timeline, and they are linked below. There's a new organization in town. They're called Sound Investigations. They're doing the hidden camera work, and this may be important, more important than anything Project Veritas ever did. I think it's more important than what OMG is doing, James O'Keefe. This thing is going after the, the, uh, the number nine trafficked website in the entire world which is known as Pornhub. It's owned by a group called MindGeek. MindGeek is the parent company for a number of these like tube type uh, things. So I'm going to play. This is going to be a lot of, uh, of, of of listening to somebody else hidden camera, but I, I cannot promote this enough. I need you guys to kind of check this out. We need to make this stuff relevant. And the reason why it's so important is because Pornhub has been knowingly allowing child pornography and exploitation from sexual abuse like rape on their platform. And these are this is the number seven employee. The company's been around for about 12 years. He's the number seven employee of the number nine biggest website that's being trafficked on the web. It's very important when you understand these guys have equity shares. They bring these people on with giving them access to the company. This guy's part of the parent company. So let's listen to that. And then we have an interview with uh, with one of the journalists from Sound Investigations who helped found it. So we're going to play both of those for you. Uh, clip number one, if you would, Ryan, let's go ahead and run that. And Steve and I may have time to reflect on it afterwards. No, it's not. I'm not gonna get caught. How are you gonna tell me like who's in that video of the girls not showing her face? Like that wouldn't hold in court. That would be the loophole that I always like. I look at that and I'm like, that's stupid. But everybody is just kind of rolling with it. Why do they just roll with it? Why don't they say something? Who exploits the loophole? Fucking everybody. Everyone. So you make a lot of money. Do you rapists use it or? Of course, of course. We've brought it up to the CPO. We brought it up to the CLO, and they're both telling us it's all good. And the CPO is especially telling us like, "Fuck off, it's all good." Like, stop. So they know the like, risk. Sh- like, shut up. No, it's all good. I'm not gonna get caught. It's like. But what if like the government was to find out about this loophole? What would they do? I don't know. They're not gonna do shit. They'll do nothing. They're dumb. They don't know shit. They're not qualified to identify. Meet Mike Farley. Farley is a product manager at Pornhub who has been working at Pornhub for more than 10 years. In fact, Farley tells our undercover reporter he was one of Pornhub's first employees. I stick around because when we first made the site, there was like, when I got hired there, there were six people. And now we're like 300. Ten years ago, there were six people at Pornhub. Yeah. Pornhub is the most trafficked pornography website and one of the most trafficked websites overall in the world. Pornhub is commonly called a tube site, allowing the general public to upload videos. Pornhub's parent company, MindGeek, now rebranding as ALO, owns many big-name porn sites. News reports and lawsuits have claimed Pornhub is complicit in abusers uploading illegal videos, and Pornhub has publicly claimed to have cleaned up its site. We sent an undercover journalist to talk with Mike Farley and other MindGeek employees to get the truth. Watch the following admissions. Do you think anything slips through the cracks? Of course. 100%. How? I don't know, because it's stupid. Because at the end of the day, it's like, how are you going to tell me, like, who's in that video of the girls not showing her face? You're, like, trying to match boobs and birthmarks on their butts and stuff. Like, you're trying to, I know this guy. So that's just a little taste of it, folks. This goes on for about 12 minutes. There's a, a lot of undercover footage. I want to uh, cut away and uh, go to the interview. Last night, I was able to ke- connect with Arden Young. She's one of the founders of this new group, Sound Investigations, obviously doing that undercover journalist type stuff that exposes people where they're at. And uh, I want to bring her on. We're going to do that. We're going to show that interview to you. This is about an eight minute thing. And then Steve and I will come here and wrap it up and have a little reflection since I know Steve worked on child pornography cases. So Ryan, if you want to roll our uh, interview there, I think people will find this interesting. Okay, and my friend Arden Young has joined us, and she's going to be telling us a little bit about Sound Investigations. Arden, when did you start working with Sound Investigations? Yes, thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. I started working, I actually formed Sound Investigations with a friend of mine um, earlier this year at the end of February. Uh, And ever since, we've been investigating Pornhub. And how did you pick that as a target? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, a while back, I had read an article in the New York Times. It was published in 2020 by Nicholas Kristof called The Children of Pornhub. And it featured uh, some victims of child exploitation. And those instances had been videoed and uploaded to Pornhub over and over and over again without consent, of course. And through years and years of requesting it be taken down, nothing was done. So lots of lawsuits filed over the years. Pornhub had claimed to clean up its acts, but my friend and I had a hunch that that was not the case. Hmm. So I guess we were right. That's a terrible thing to be right about. Um, I'm kind of yeah. curious about how you grew up and where you came from. Will you tell people where you're from? Absolutely. I'm from Los Angeles, California, born and raised. Uh, I grew up in the entertainment industry as an actress, I have a background in acting and TV and film. And I feel like that's contributed a lot to my desire to do undercover work. There's a lot of kids that are in the entertainment space that uh, at a young age are either exploited or moved into exploited type roles. Did you feel any kinship with kind of feeling to, like you had to protect them? Yeah, I did a little bit. You hear horror stories and I'm grateful that Nothing horrific happened to me, but I, I definitely found myself in not great situations and heard really, really bad stories from um, friends of mine who had been abused. And it was a motivating factor in getting involved in uh, trying to get justice for victims of exploitation. So you're looking at Pornhub, you guys go in, what, how do you even approach a target like that? What, what is the, can you talk about some of the techniques? Yeah. Um, I'll try to be as general as possible because we're still actually investigating. Mm -hmm. Um, but as you can see, um, I met with Mike Farley in the video. Um, it was technically a date, even though it wasn't a real date. Um, but we met twice and that was that I, he opened up right away on the first meeting and on the second meeting, he continued to expand on the questions I was asking him. And I walked away with the information that I wanted. And when you're letting people talk like that, is it, uh, you know, what are your reactions? What are your nerves like as you're listening and, and sitting? I there? get really, really nervous. I really do. Um, I tend to just retreat into myself, remain quiet, ask simple questions, don't overcomplicate it too much. And um, yeah, but I do get really nervous. <laughs> And, and do the uh, people that you're talking to in this type of investigation never pick up on that? I don't think so. I think because they don't know me, they just figure maybe I'm a little bit quieter naturally. Or shy. Uh, or shy, yeah. But I think that uh, it actually helps in a way because as an undercover journalist, you don't want to be talking your head off. You want your subject to be talking their head off. And, and when you leave all that room, they tend to fill it in for you, it seems like. Yeah, people tend to want to fill awkward silences. <laughs> so the stuff that's being discussed in this video that we just saw, um, it's pretty horrific to be able to bring up, whether it's on a date or a you know, um, friendly conversation. Did, did you see that there was a concern? Like It doesn't seem like any concern for children. No, there was no concern for children. Um, Mike was extremely matter of fact in how he was answering my questions. And that was shocking to me, even though I know I, I shouldn't have been shocked, but how um, matter of fact, and sometimes his tone was a little bit braggy. It did bother me. Um, but no, no concern for children. The only concern was for the bottom line. Uh, it was really interesting talking to Mike, though, because he actually expressed to me he doesn't like the porn industry. He doesn't like pornography. Um, he doesn't like working for an adult company. He's just been there for so long. Uh, he's been there for over 10 years. He was the seventh person hired at Pornhub ever. Whoa. And um, that's why he sticks around. That's kind of wild. Um, and I guess the, the question is, what does that say about our society when that's the kind of value system people are going on? What do you, what is, what's your impression? It's this really scary time. Um, I, I heard someone say today that it used to be you had to 
pay a lot of money to be able to view porn and TV was free, where nowadays TV is really expensive with all the different streaming things and everything like that, but porn is free. And that's completely true how society has evolved over the years very quickly with the internet. It's interesting. Uh, I, I had never thought about those two, but that is a that's kind of a scary comparison. Uh, I guess the other thing that I had someone reflect on once is that we don't really know what it means for people to have access to pornography 24-7 anywhere they go on a phone. They could literally be watching pornography of whatever sort of deviant flair they want, particularly mm -hmm. some of this awful stuff, you know, in a cab on the way to a date. They could, they could see anything yes. they wanted. And I don't want to give away too much, but you are going to see Mike talk more about that and his personal feelings on pornography. And it's actually pretty shocking. Okay. I will look forward to that. You grew up in an era when that was a thing. That was mm -hmm. not the case for my childhood, but that was, I mean, you're young enough. You're quite a bit younger than I am. Um, this is the world that you grew up in, that you started dating in, uh, got married in and so on. So it's like, has that changed the way that human beings look at each other, you think? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, don't take it from me. You'll be able to take it from Mike Farley, who actually agrees with you. Okay, so we've got a little <laughs> bit more. I'll, I'll leave that as a teaser. Why don't you tell people how they can follow and support the work that you're doing if they find this stuff interesting? Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be releasing multiple more Pornhub videos. Each video is going to feature a new employee, um, sometimes multiple new employees uh, of Pornhub and its parent company, MindGeek. You can follow us on Twitter at SoundInvesting without the Asians because of the character limit. And uh, I'm on Twitter as Arden underscore Young underscore. And we're just going to be trickling out those releases and hoping that lawmakers want to hold Pornhub accountable. I hope they are as well. Have you had some contact with uh, Congress that's favorable? We're in talks. Yeah, it's uh, really exciting. We're in the early stages, but we are getting uh, the kind of interest we were hoping to get. One would hope that protecting children will be pretty easy for them to bite off, huh? Yeah, and we're really, really hoping this is going to be bipartisan. I think it's something that easily both sides of the aisle can come together on. Let's pray for that too. All right. I will uh, make sure that all of your descriptions and your links are below. And I really appreciate you joining me and talking about this. And I guess that's a kind of a, uh, a cliffhanger teaser. So we will uh, look forward to what's coming out next on there. Folks, if you're not following my social media, by all means, follow it too, because I will be boosting the signal of what Arden and unnamed partner are doing for sound investigations. Thank you so much, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Thanks for, for jumping on with me. Thank you. Oh, we got to unmute. There we go, folks. Uh, so Sound Investigations and Arden Young, uh, unnamed partner, founded and and moving forward in the space. So there's going to be a lot more of that coming out. She's really exposing something really ugly out there. Steve, you want to kind of reflect on that? I know you've got uh, young boys in the world and you worked for child pornography cases as well. Well, it's just too large of an actual threat to, to fully address, to fully provide all the personnel to, to look into. It, this is something that it's not regional because it's digital. It, it transcends all boundaries. It is, for me, uh, I think we need to adapt the way that we actually bring people into law enforcement. You, you ask the person, you want to be a cop, right? Uh, are you okay with carrying a gun? Are you okay with potentially inflicting violence on somebody? And it has to be yes to be a cop, right? Mm -hmm. I, I would be in favor of adding a third. Are you in favor of working child pornography and child exploitation cases? Because right now you can beg out of that from a law enforcement standpoint and just say, look, I, I can't handle that and I don't want to work it. And you're not forced to. We have to address it. It, it needs to be prioritized because it's, it's just gotten out of control and it's only getting worse as these guys get more sophisticated. They're, uh, the, the police are always multiple steps behind. I think it was yesterday or the day before um, I saw it was my uh, my old area in Iowa. They, they had a guardsman get popped for... Uh, for child pornography and uh my neighbor reached out to me on he was just blown away by it and i said man you don't have no idea it it's all over the place you, you go you know down down your street and i would i would ensure that there would be at least one of your neighbors is, is doing it and it it needs to be prioritized and addressed and, and we can only do that we can only do what we can do i mean obviously a lot of this footage is coming from overseas and these third world countries we can't really stop that uh we can Try to go get and arrest the pedophiles but there's just more content out there uh the only 
thing that I can think of is more manpower and then also further education for the kids because so many of these kids are self-producing. They don't see a problem with it. And uh, I even joked about it. I said, it's, at some point in the future, kids are not going to be able to be uh, sexploited because every kid will have put something out. And they're going to say, well, I don't care if you show my mom a picture of my junk. She's seen it before because, uh, you know, all my friends did it too. And it doesn't embarrass me. It doesn't, doesn't embarrass any of us. And I, I, that's not a good situation to be in, but at the rate we're going, that, that might be the only, the only way. Uh, I do want to actually also point out, well, having watched the footage of him talking to her. Yeah, just before you do, folks, if you haven't seen what we talked about with Mickey Willis, we actually addressed a lot of this stuff, the sort of shock value that goes on and the dopamine hit that kids are getting and sometimes the financial reward for it. So check out uh, our interview with Mickey Willis talking about exploitation. Uh, carry on. Yeah, and, and and a lot of those, it's a lot of boys actually in high school age that get roped into it. They'll they'll see a picture of a, you know some hot chick. They think, oh, she's really into me on online and then be enticed to send a picture or self-produce. And then next thing they know, they're getting blackmailed. And there's actually been some suicides as a result of that because these kids are just humiliated and they don't want their family to find out and they can't afford to send the $500. And once they get you on the hook, you know, that's, that's the concern that we're seeing with, uh, with our political leaders. Once they have blackmail material or you've compromised yourself, compromised again, you're always compromised. You can't ever get yourself out from underneath that. Uh, but back to the video, uh, she let me, let me add, offer one thing on that too, folks, if that does happen and this is uh, we, we provide information here as well. I had a neighbor come to me with exactly that situation, uh, in one of my duty posts. I don't want to say too much more. And the, the concern was teenage boy, um, lured in, sent off a picture now asking for money, send me a gift card, whatever it is. The right answer is to ignore that. There's a very, very small possibility that that person has the ability to expose that photograph. Mostly no. They are then complicit in a federal crime in this country. So that's part one. Part two is their goal is to get you to send them something because it's a profit margin and they are going to move on to the next target afterwards. So if you ignore that, that is the only thing you can do. And you can teach your kids this right up front. If that uh, exploitation attempt happens, you simply move on. You just go... There's a small possibility that we're going to have some exposure and we'll deal with it if it comes up. And more importantly, we love you and we support you and you've learned a valuable lesson today and don't send your junk to people that you don't know. And then, and then you move on with your life and you kind of watch over your back for a few days and then it won't happen. Like 99% of the time, nothing will happen. And it's just a really scary lesson. Um, you need to let your kids know they can come to you with that stuff. It's the Nigerian print scam. Correct. They make it up in volume. <clears throat> Just ignoring it is, is really the, the, the best option you have because the local law enforcement is not going to have the capability to track down somebody who's on the Ivory Coast who's trying to get a Walmart gift card from you. And that guy is not really interested in hunting you down. If he thinks he's got you on the hook, maybe to a certain extent, but he makes his money by getting a thousand kids and then hopefully a couple of them actually comply with his demands for money. That's right. Uh, but that that guy, uh, he never made. He was never making eye contact with her when he was admitting to what was going on. He's clearly ashamed of of how Pornhub is is uh, behaving, and it that's every FBI agent now. Mm -hmm. That's why that this ties they, in. They they know what's going on. People were and like, he even "Are looks you like an FBI agent?" He does. He, <laughs> so people were saying it in the comments to Arden's uh, Twitter thread. They were like, "Are you proud of yourself? You just ruined this man and his career, and he'll never be. You know, nobody will ever hire him again." Guess what? Let him be a harbinger of what comes for those who do not do good when they have the opportunity to. Yeah. Being complicit I, I, makes you compromised. I agree. I agree, which is why I've now sent out and responded when I've gotten the, the hate messages back on Twitter about uh, U.S. Treasury Special Agent Michael S. Baruccio from Atlanta, who was the guy in the video who was knocking on the, on the gentleman's door trying to get him to be a source, trying to coerce him to being a source and informing on his neighbors. He's Do the chubby guy that claims to be with the FBI, even though he's with the Treasury, because he's a TFO, but he's ashamed of his actual job. Yeah, and his LinkedIn is still up, by the way. And I, I, look, I'm not trying to dox the guy, but look, that's a publicly available profile. It's a publicly available flashed. video, and he showed his publicly available credentials to identify him as a public official doing his public duty in public. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. not doxing. <laughs> no, it's definitely the, not. There's nothing and, and worse he, than that than showing somebody's uh, name tag as they work uh, as a law enforcement officer anywhere else, because we do that yeah, all the time. Provide your badge number. And they definitely don't need to have a protective detail like Peter Strzok wants them to have. That's right. That's all true. Um, let's leave it at that. I think that's a pretty good wrap up for the hour here that we've been uh, spending together. I appreciate you joining me as usual, folks. Um, follow Steve Friend. It's at Real Steve Friend on Twitter. You can follow him at Real underscore Steve Friend on on Truth Social. You can check out his book, True Blue. It is on Amazon. 
And uh, we're looking at doing maybe a, a Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle stream. I think you guys might uh, want to see that. So put it in the comments what you think it should be called. They've already got some ideas for doing it. And I, will, I told them I would help produce this sort of thing um, on the weekend. If you guys are looking for content on the weekend, let us know when you think that would be. Uh, what would be the best time for you to see a live stream with them where you could interact? Uh, Steve, is that uh, is that something you guys are still thinking is going to be? Oh yeah, the... man. If we already planned out the pilot episode, we just need to get uh, Casey to, uh, on the uh, on the music for us. I got some other some... Casey music. It might be a little bit more uh, a little bit more fun. All right, let's little, do it. Some uplifting stuff. All right, thanks, buddy. I hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll close this thing out, uh, ladies and gentlemen. You have been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show. It is streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas, from our kind of wild studio here that some of you did not know we had. Here we are. This is the studio. That's what it looks like working here on the ones and twos. Uh, we stream live at nine thirty Eastern time on the East Coast, and that's 8.30 here in Texas, America. Please make sure you follow us on Rumble. It's rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. That's where our bump in live chat is, and you guys were going off today. I saw you were engaging. Had a new subscriber to the channel, Santos 414 Thanks for joining the channel. Thanks for supporting the channel. I think it's five bucks if you want to subscribe. That goes to us. Um, it just keeps our, our content in. I don't think you get anything special except you get some emojis you can play with. But we love seeing you guys do that, and I know some of you wanted to support it, so we're very, very appreciative. Almost 700 five-star reviews going on right now, so leave your five-star review on Apple, and you can have yours read on the show like T Game. Bogey, TGAM Bogey says interviews with uh, six gen incarcerated men, five stars. Kyle, that was a great podcast. My heart goes out to the interviewees, and I'm glad you gave Americans a chance to hear from them. You should always know that there are commercials cutting in unannounced that interrupted the interviews. That's interesting to note. I did not know that, but I guess Apple has monetized our podcast. Maybe we can uh, uh, gain a little bit of that. <laughs> I don't know if they thought they were going to pay us or not. We might be moving over to Spotify too. Uh, we're hosting with a different group right now. Uh, folks, you can uh, follow us there on uh, podcast, the, the, the audio podcast on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. We do it on Podbean. We even stream live to Facebook if you guys want to see it there or on YouTube for all uh, like two or three of you. It looks like there's nine of you that are watching on YouTube. So thanks to the nine of you that are on YouTube right now, one of which is probably my wife. Uh, it does continue because you guys are supporting us. Make sure you're supporting Ryan Matta as well. You can see him at Ryan Matta Media on Twitter. You can follow his Rumble channel as well and see him on LFA TV at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, folks, we will see you after the weekend. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.